Hi there, and welcome back to the Energy Sector Heroes podcast. My name is Michelle Fraser, and every week I will speak with incredible people who share their lessons, experiences, and stories from their time spent in the energy sector. Hi there, and welcome back again to this week's episode. If you're new to the show, then please take a second to subscribe and even consider sharing the show with just one other person. This week, I am joined by Andrew Inkpen. Andrew's an incredible chair of global strategy and professor at Thunderbird School of Global Management. Andrew, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Well, I'm, I'm professor of global strategy, as you said, at Thunderbird School of Global Management, which is part of Arizona State University in Phoenix, Arizona. And I work in the area of strategic management and have worked around the energy sector and global oil and gas industry for, for several decades. And I'm excited to be here and happy to, happy to chat with you today. Yeah, you're one of my heroes, actually. You're also an author of the of a book, The Global Oil, Oil and Gas Industry. I have read this book, and it's really interesting. What made you want to, where did you get the inspiration to write it? Well, at Thunderbird, we have, oh gosh, for several decades, starting in the 1990s, we, we were involved in a lot of executive education programs with oil and gas companies and leadership programs where, where, you know, we weren't teaching oil and gas people about how to do oil and gas. We were teaching them about leadership. And, and so we were seeing a lot of engineers, technical people, you know, the oil and gas industry hires engineers, hires technical people, and then makes them managers. That's the way the industry works. So we were seeing a lot of managers who came out of the technical, you know, came out of technical backgrounds, who were great technical people, and then now they're being asked to be, you know, supervisors and managers, without having real business experience and and business knowledge. So we, and I say we, my my colleague uh, Michael Moffat, who's also a professor at Thunderbird, we really had the idea that we would we would try to write a book about the the business of oil and gas, not not the, you know, not, not how to drill an oil well, but you know, how each of the basically activities in the value chain kind of work. So we wrote it with a value chain approach. We, you know, we have the upstream and we have, you know, exploration, development, production, uh, midstream, downstream, chemicals, et cetera. And we, we've tried to really explain how the business works in each of those value chain segments. And we have a few other chapters in the book about, you know, specifically on finance, because that's such an important, you know, finance and you know, capital allocation and things like that are so important. But it was really written in terms of the target audience. The target audience is technical people transitioning to the business side of oil and gas. That's one audience. The second audience is new people who are, you know, that just get hired straight out of an engineering program. They join an oil and gas company and they to do well, I think in a career, you really need to understand the whole whole industry. Even if you know you may work in drilling, but you know having an appreciation for the whole value chain of how you know of of the of the global oil and gas industry is something that will we believe enhance your career. So it was really based on just the people we saw and what we felt was a missing kind of a missing niche in the you know in the education side of the industry. So 
mostly, you know, the things we learned about the industry are from working with, you know, working in executive education and working with oil and gas companies. Okay. So that was that was the inspiration to to help technical people better understand the business side of the industry. So, do you think, in your opinion, that the engineers make good managers? Yes, yes, they do. I mean, the, the best companies, the you know, the Total and ExxonMobil and Chevron and and you know these companies are very very good at 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 finding. You know, at taking engineers and turning them into outstanding managers and leaders. They don't know. I mean, they don't all work. It's not a hundred percent success rate, but it's a good success rate. And and I I I've seen a lot of executives in oil and gas companies who came up through the engineering ranks, and they're outstanding leaders. So I I think it works. Could it work better? Perhaps, but it works very well. So how do you think it could work better? <laughs> you know, I think there's a in inside all the certainly the the super majors there's significant resistance to hiring from outside the firm. There's resistance to hiring outside of engineering. I, I mean I don't I don't see it, it these aren't fatal flaws but uh you know they they there's a lot of pride within these companies that I think keeps them somewhat narrowly focused on on who they hire and perhaps who they promote. But look, that said, I think that you know the super majors are are all well-run companies, have outstanding people running them, and have done a great job of turning engineers into managers. In your opinion, if you were an engineer and you were looking to get promoted, and to come up through the ranks, how would you actually do that? Promoted, pr- promoted into a supervisory role, or? or maybe maybe a supervisor, then going into maybe senior management. Yeah. How do you go about doing that? What qualities would you even have to have? Because I know quite a few people that I know, without going into too much details, quite a few people that I know they're maybe taking management degrees or mm-hmm. management masters. Yeah. But they're going to have to do more. You're going to sure. have to do more work after doing that. So, what yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I also have seen many, you know, engineers who have, who have, you know, gotten MBAs, you know, part-time weekend programs, executive, you know, programs. I think that's, you know, that's part of it, and and I think that sends a signal, I think, to management that you are serious about becoming a supervisor and a manager. But in my experience, it's, it's, you know, obviously making it known to your, you know, making it known to your bosses that that's what you want to do and accepting, you know, uh, probably a, a fairly risky assignment in this, into an area that you're not familiar with. That, that's, that's what I've seen. I mean, we, we worked very closely with, with ExxonMobil for many, many years. And, you know, their approach is, you know, we will take an engineer We'll give them a supervisory role, perhaps in a part of the business they've never worked before, and we'll see how they do. And we'll watch them closely. We'll, you know, we'll 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 try to mentor them, but we'll see how they do. And some do well and some don't. So it's 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 you know, you've got to be willing to accept the risk moving into an area that's probably unfamiliar and challenging. And 
You know, I, you know, we see a lot of young engineers move into supervisory roles where, you know, the people they're supervising are often much older than them, perhaps much more experienced as technical people than them. And it's, it's, you know, it can be a risky, but that's, that's how you develop your career. So, you know, you make it known to your management that you want to do it. Uh, you perhaps get some business experience through, through education. I, I don't think that's critical though, to be honest. It helps, it can help, but it's not critical. I mean, it's, it's really taking on supervisory roles and doing them well. That's, that's the, that's the key thing. And not everybody will do it well. Uh, not every engineer is is suited to be a supervisor. You don't think so. What makes you say that? Because what qualities would your your employer look for to to see if you were going to be suitable as a supervisor mm-hmm. manager? Yeah, uh, you know, I think it, at the beginning, it's it's you know some fairly basic basic qualities. It's you know it's it's, it's teamwork, collegiality, um, evidence of some. Some, some leadership skills, um, success, obviously, in the jobs you've done up to this point uh, as an engineer. And it's not a, there's no foolproof system. You know, it's, it's, we, 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 you know, we look at successful people, we, we give them opportunities. You know, some, some people don't want to be supervisors, you know, that's not their, you know, they, they want to be individual contributors, but, you know, people that, that have made it known that they want to go beyond individual contributions you know, the, the, my experience, the big oil and gas companies, you know, they'll, they'll give them an opportunity and many will do well. And, and if you look at the people that run these companies, I think without across the super majors, they're all engineers. And now the CEO of ExxonMobil is a little different because he, he actually was hired with a business degree. So, okay. but he's an engineer from the aerospace sector. So he he's a little different. He didn't come up through the ranks as an as a you know as a petroleum engineer or a chemical engineer. He was hired after a business program, so he's a little different. But you know, I think if you look at most of the you know and the independents as well, it's 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 engineers that have come in, developed supervisory managerial experience, and then move up into leadership roles. What is the biggest problem that you see that engineers struggle with becoming managers? Uh, I think letting go of the detail, willing to trust others to, you know, to ultimately do the work. And you, you could, I mean, you think about the first supervisory assignment most, you know, most people will get might involve a minimum of two people and, you know, two to five people that might be their supervisory sort of span of, uh, span of control. You know, when you're supervising two or supervising two or three people, you have to let go, but there's a tendency not to do that, right? And so, you know, you have to let others do the work. You're the supervisor. And, and I think it's hard for young engineers to, you know, you're trained as an engineer to focus on detail and, and, and you know, and, and, you know, a, a way of doing things. And, and I think there's a, there's, it's tough for first-time supervisors to let go and, and trust others. And then to you know, and, and then have the skill to be able to provide the feedback and, you know, the motivate motivation to to create the right kind of environment. And, and that's not just engineers. That's anybody in the world who gets a first-time supervisory assignment. You go from an individual contributor to a supervisor. You've got to let go and you've got to be willing to trust others. Do you think that's easy to do so? For some people, yes. For For others, for others, no. You know, and that's 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 what will separate the individual contributors from the potential supervisors. Some can do it very well, 
you know, and, and others cannot. And, and, you know, and that's, that's, you know, the kind of programs we used to run, we used to deal mostly with, you know, high potential middle managers who were, who were expected to be moving up in the organization. And, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about these issues and, you know, and, and, and certainly in my experience, I've, you know, we found the companies were, were pretty good at identifying the people who had those skills and abilities. Okay. Do you think that if you're wanting to be a manager, you can't engineer and manage at the same time? Not to the same detail anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you can. I think you can. But ultimately, you're going to have to step away from doing the engineering and become the supervisor of engineers. If if look, you can be, I mean, there's supervisors required in, in all aspects of the business. You need to supervise accountants and you need to supervise lawyers. Uh but yes, you 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 can do both. But you know, for a lot of engineers, it is hard to, to step away from the detail of the engineering because uh, that's what you're trained to do. Okay. So, do you have any advice? Any advice for somebody who's maybe struggling to do that? Then you know, I, I think watch, learn from others. You know, look for mentors, take feedback, take you know, listen to, you know, be willing to accept critical advice and critical feedback. But certainly. Look, everybody's had supervisors. So, right, the day you join Total or ExxonMobil, you have a supervisor on day one. You know, you should be looking and listening and watching. And, you know, if that's your, if you're aspiring to to those roles yourself, you should be learning from others and, and trying to learn what works, what doesn't work, what you liked about the supervisors you had or, or did not have, you know, did not like. There's a, you know, tremendous opportunity for learning, especially in the big companies. Because you do typically get moved around and get different assignments, and you know you get exposed to a variety of different supervisors, and look for mentors. Right, you know I think the best, the best leaders and executives have all had mentors in their careers. You know, people that they could talk to, people that would, you know, could give them feedback. You know, I think that's a that's a critical part of part of you know developing as a as a as a manager and a supervisor. And, you know, and ultimately, you know, you're going to be expected to be a leader. So. Okay. So how, how do you go about choosing a good mentor for you? You know, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a one size fits all. It's, it's in some cases it's a bit of luck. You know, you happen to have an assignment with a supervisor who you develop a relationship with. I mean, you can be proactive as well. You know, some of the companies I know, of course, you know, build mentorship networks inside the company where you, you know, where you have the opportunity to to find mentors and, and you know, more senior executives or leaders are, you know, that's part of their job is to, to work with younger people. So I think there's different ways to do it, but certainly it's being open to feedback and opening to advice and criticism and things like that. Because if you're not, you're, you're, you're never going to be able to find a mentor who wants to work with you. Okay. So you also do lecturing. Is that something, because you've always, because you've worked in industry and worked as a a professor, university professor, which one do you prefer to do? <laughs> well, they, 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 they go hand in hand. And when, and when you say work in industry, you know, the work that I've done is, you know, primarily through, you know, it's, it's through our institution. So, you know, it's the institution, you know, it's, it's Thunderbird providing the programs, 
you know, to these companies. So, you know, I'm still working, you know, as a, as a professor, but it's with, you know, it's with, it's with, with, with companies. So it's not, it's not actually that different. Uh, We do a lot of the same things in the, you know, in the classroom with companies as we do with MBA students. You know, it's a, it's a different type of student, but the materials are not necessarily different. Okay. So do you think an MBA is quite a, it's quite a useful qualification then? Yeah, I, I do. I do. I do. I think, I think an MBA is, you know, again, depending on your, your career aspirations, but certainly if you're, if your career is around, you know, whether it's in oil and gas or pharmaceuticals or whatever, if, if you aspire to really work in the, on the business side, as opposed to the engineering or the science or the research side, you know, MBA is a very useful, very useful degree because you, you get exposed to all aspects of business, finance and marketing and strategy and operations and things like that. So now would I advise someone to leave their job and necessarily take a two-year leave of absence? Uh, that, that would depend. I mean, there's other ways to get an MBA besides doing a full-time MBA. So you can do a weekend MBA and uh, executive MBA and things like that. Okay, so is there a difference between an executive MBA and an MBA? Yes, let's say a full time. I mean, we we tend to refer to you know full time MBAs versus executive MBAs, and then there's maybe the part time MBA. But leave the part time one aside. You know, the full time MBA means you are you are a full time student. You have left your employment or maybe put it on hold or taken a leave of absence. You know, I actually did that many years ago myself. I left my job, quit my job, went to a full-time MBA, took two years to do the MBA. So, you know, you're with full-time students, but that's what you do. An executive MBA is typically a, a, a what we call a weekend MBA. You do Friday, Saturdays, maybe every second week you go you know, back to school on Fridays and Saturdays. You keep your job. The, the type of student in the executive MBA is older, more experienced than the, than the full-time MBA programs. So you're working and studying with people who are also employed. And so you have the kind of the dynamic of people coming from different industries and different companies working together. And that typically takes anywhere from 12 months to, you know, 18 months to complete. Full-time MBAs are you know, 10 months to two years, depending on the program you choose. Okay. Because I did my MBA. It was quite a while ago. Quite a while ago, actually. And I always find that when I did my MBA, the most important aspect of it was the HR, I think. I mean, I enjoyed all all of the subjects, I will Mm -hmm. say that. But I think that the most important that that I think there was, it was HR, which type of subject do you think is the most important? You know, I, I think it depends on the individual, depends on the individual. Um, I mean, some people will say finance is the most important because I want to work in finance and, you know, or, or you know, I, my area is strategic management. I think that's important if, if you know, anybody who wants to work in consulting or, or, or who aspires to senior management and senior executive experience has got to be a strategic thinker. Marketing, uh, you know, depending on the industry, maybe a little bit less so in oil and gas because you don't actually market a lot of your products. But 
in the traditional sense, but I, I think it's all, you know, it's all important in the sense that it, you know, a good MBA gives you a, 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 a real holistic understanding of business. And that's, that's the objective. And, but you know, diff, different students are going to have different uh, sort of career aspirations. So, you know, their area might, of preference might depend on where they want to go in their careers. Okay. Because I was going to ask you, do you think the way that people manage their team has changed even just post-COVID? I mean, for years. I'm not sure post-COVID. I mean, I, certainly over the years that I've worked and observed senior executives, certainly managerial styles have evolved. Things that you could do or did, you know, the type of type of leadership that worked in the 1990s, it's, it's a little different you go through, go through stages. You know, we didn't talk, we didn't talk about inclusivity and diversity and things like that in the 1990s. It was not really a, a theme. That became a major theme of our executive programs as we, you know, moved into the 2010s and, and, and that period. So I think I, I, COVID, I'm not so sure. I mean, obviously, work from home is a, is a big issue uh, post COVID. But that's more about uh, the structure of the of the relationship as opposed to you know leadership styles and leadership abilities and things like that. So, but definitely the way people are led and the way people want to be led evolves over time. Okay. Why do you think that evolves? Because I remember when I started off as a quite a young engineer many years ago. I do think that the management style has has changed significantly, actually. Sure. Yeah, I, mean, I think depending on when you started, there might have been a little more, a little more top down, a little more command and control, and certainly today there's an expectation. I think certainly from young people of you know, as I said, inclusivity and participation, and you know, and that and that's been going on for you know, hundred years. Uh, that that you know, each new generation that comes up through the ranks has a has a different view of of. Of business and the way business and interactions and with people should take place. So, and and I think that that's you know the the continued success of companies like ExxonMobil and Total and Chevron, you know, demonstrates that that leadership can evolve and can you know deal with different expectations, you know, from 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 the people in, in the organizations. Do you think it's harder to manage people nowadays, especially with people? more wanting to work from home? Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a new challenge. It's not one that 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 certainly existed in 1995. I wouldn't say harder. Uh, you know, I think leaders over time, I mean, you, you learn to deal with different different leadership challenges and, and and maybe, you know, remote working and work from home is a is a is a challenge today that did not exist 10, 15 years ago. But I don't think it's harder. I think it's it's just another challenge that that needs to be needs to be dealt with. And you know, and these things, you know, these challenges come along, you know, every every generation. So so I wouldn't say it's harder. It's just different. Okay. But then I do know of some companies that maybe do want their staff back in full time, but <laughs> there is a reluctance yeah. they're trying to push that back. Sure. I mean it's I, there was a story in the Wall Street Journal this week about working from home and and talking about the people who like working from home the most are often the senior leaders who who like to be able to work at home. And 
and yet you have this conflict of you know you read about you know Elon Musk says everybody has to be in the office but then you realize that a lot of his senior leaders probably actually like to work at home one or two or three days a week so we, we've got this conflict going on it it'll, it'll take some time to resolve itself and it depends on the industry as well and you know some jobs some industries I think working from home is easier than others you know if you've got a client facing business, you kind of have to face the client in the office at some point in time. You know, a good friend of mine is an engineer. He works on abandoning uh, wells in the North Sea. That's his job. Mm -hmm. He is 100% work from home and not just work from home. He doesn't even work in the North, you know, he doesn't work anywhere near the North Sea. He works many, many thousands of kilometers away from the North Sea. And he will never, ever go into the office. There's no need for him to go in the office. So, you know, I think it depends a lot on the job. But, you know, it's a challenge that 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 today's leaders are going to have to deal with. And I think flexibility is going to be the, you know, there's no one one size fits all. It's 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 about flexibility and understanding the person, understanding the job. Okay. It's, it's an interesting dilemma, uh, for sure, that 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 COVID has kind of it existed before COVID. It wasn't, you know, it didn't just happen because of COVID, but COVID drove it home. Just, you know, what might be possible. It is. And it certainly has, has come since COVID, but I do know of maybe some companies that their staff, maybe they have to go into the office maybe a couple of times, but then some of them don't want to go into the office at all. Mm -hmm. permanently. That must be, Difficult. Though. Yeah, I think that's very, very challenging. That's very challenging. I mean, you can, on the one hand, people don't have to do the commute. They have tremendous flexibility when they work at home. So, you know, there's some real advantages to being at home. But if you have to, you know, there's no question that face-to-face -face meetings are very different than a Zoom meeting. I mean, if you and I were sitting together in the same room, we would interact with each other differently. Yeah. You and I would observe each other's body language. We would, you know, we could interrupt each other a little easier than we can over Zoom. So, and and in in some cases, I think the task required, the task requires face to face, um, and and there's no getting around that. But if you're doing, you know, abandoning abandoning oil wells in the North Sea, you don't have to go into the office. There's no need. Okay. I've got a question, million dollar question. Do you think that working from home would suffer your career? Well, you know, you, you, you have to be visible in an organization. I mean, people have to know who you are and what you're capable of. You know, you're not going to get promoted if you're invisible. And you've got to inter, I mean, networking is in the big companies, especially like, like your own company and, Building a personal network, we we used to talk a lot about that in our programs. You know, building a personal network, and some of the, those networks will stay with you for your whole career. You know, we we observed, you know, people in in you know Exxon Mobil, you know, thirty plus years, and they would talk about the network that they built developed over the years. They still had those networks, and if you work from home, it's going to be a little harder to build that network. Now, maybe you don't need that network. Maybe you're you know you're just a individual contributor with a very specific skill that's what you like doing that's what you want to do the network may not be as important i mean if you want to be a supervisor you need a network 
and working from home is going to be tricky to build that network. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. But if you were maybe a young engineer and maybe wanted to work from home, but then, or even maybe a senior engineer that would work from home, and then you, but you still wanted to pursue the management, you couldn't do both, no? Difficult. I think it would be difficult. Look, I mean, again, work from home could mean one day a week, could mean five days a week. It really depends on, on, and, 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 and I think we don't yet know the potential of work from home because it's, you know, we're, we're, we're all living this right now. Um, you know, what we're doing, you know, we're doing here and, you know, in, in March of 2020, my institution said on, you know, on Wednesday, every, every, every class will be on zoom next Monday. And most of us had never used zoom in our lives, right? We, we, you know, we're in a huge institution with, you know, 60, 70,000 students. And all of a sudden, every faculty member and every student had to use it, the new technology that most of us had never, you know, we were not familiar with. That's just, you know, three years ago. So there are, you know, obviously a lot of things we need to learn about this technology and what it's capable of. And, and you know, and so your question, can you, can you become a supervisor and a manager and executive and how will this technology help you do that? I don't think we know the answer to that yet. It's it's still early in the journey of work from home. Okay. We'll know a lot more in, you know, two years, five years, ten years about what's possible and what's not possible. You know, this is this is this is a pretty new phenomenon. So, you know, when you and I can connect so easily and you know, in two different parts of the world. And a few years ago, you know, we didn't really know how to do that. We didn't do it that frequently. It was expensive and now it's just normal normal behavior so you know the potential i think and the opportunities are, are yet to be discovered do you think so you don't think that working from home will ever go away then no no never never the, you know it, it was already there it just wasn't quite as you know we didn't have the you know wfh was not an acronym but you know now we have the acronym and we have the the discussions and it's not going to go away because it, you know, for some jobs it's perfect, and, and it gives, you know, it gives people the opportunity to do things and have careers they otherwise would not have had, right? You know, you know, my colleague, my friend, who you know, who's working for a North Sea company, uh, two years ago he could not have done the job unless he lived in Aberdeen or, you know, or Copenhagen or Norway or something. Now he can do that job in his home, so you know that's pretty exciting. You know the opportunities it creates for, for you know, for potential job opportunities and hiring opportunities and so on. Okay, so you don't think that working from home is all bad then? Oh, so- absolutely not. You know, it's it's a it's it's fantastic for certain jobs and certain people. You know, you think of people who who would have turned down a job perhaps because they, you know, the commute was too long, uh, they couldn't do it, they had to take care of kids or something like that. Well, if you only have to do it twice a week instead of five times a week, now potentially that job could be yours. And so that's, that's, you know, creates huge opportunities. Do you think that the way that managers hire and potentially look, recruit for different types of roles has, have changed then? 
because of the work from home. It's because it's really opened a lot of opportunities for quite a lot of different people. Then yes, yeah, I think it. I think it has. Of course, it depends on the industry. You know, it depends on the company. But yes, absolutely, opportunities for people to get jobs, opportunities for employers to find people to fill those jobs. Okay, so. Why does the senior managers prefer to work from home then? <laughs> I think like like other people, they 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 you know they have commutes, they have family obligations, they have a need to have some flexibility in their careers. They they enjoy the I think the the peace and quiet of of being able to just focus on the task at hand. They're no different than you know than the the you know the the 25-year-old who doesn't want to do a commute because they live an hour away from the office. It's its the same thing. Again, I don't, I'm not saying they want to be at home five days a week, but they often enjoy the one or two days at home or half day at home, whatever it is that they're able to do. Because being a senior vice president or even a CEO, it's quite a demanding job. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the CEO can probably stay home you know, the CEO of Total can't stay at home too often. I would have thought so, no. <laughs> I mean, that job is, is you know, that's a very, that's an extreme case of of, of your, every every minute of every day for the next, you know, two years is already planned out in advance. So that's that's a different type of job. But, you know, I'm talking about, you know, just, you know, middle managers or or, you know, you know, executives and not not the not the most senior executives, but but again, even those people probably enjoy an opportunity to not have interruptions and not have to uh, deal with fighting fires all day long. So I didn't even know that that the whole okay. So if you're a CEO, senior manager, then your your whole plan is planned out long term. Well, not all of it, but certainly you know you know you're. You know, if you're the CEO of of, of ExxonMobil and you're, you know, you're going to, you certainly have your travel plans laid out because you're going to, you know, you're going to have annual meet, you're going to have your quarterly meetings that possibly could be in different locations. You're going to have, you know, you're going to have to visit facilities and plants and operations around the world. And, you know, much of that will be planned out. Now, you certainly can't plan for the, you know, the, you know, the pipeline that, uh, that, that ruptures in, uh, you know, unexpectedly in the middle of Arkansas. No, that that's not in your plan. Uh, so, but you certainly can plan. You know, you plan your travel, and you've got a pretty long window of 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 planning that takes place. Okay. But you also have to have. You know, there's going to be unexpected things that happen, especially in oil and gas. Right. I mean, it's an industry that goes through all sorts of political and. Uh, Safety and all sorts of events occur in that industry. So you've got to also deal with those. Okay. Because I think it would be quite a stressful job, actually, being right. Because you would have so much responsibility. So sure. much responsibility for everybody as well. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is a highly demanding job and highly compensated job as well. So... What kind of skills would you need to go if you were wanting to go to that level? Well, I mean, it's it's if you look at CEOs in any of the major companies in the world, they they've all had some common sets of you know background kind of characteristics. They've all had many many different experiences in the industry or the companies they work for. 
They've been exposed to many, many different things. They've had many successes, but probably some significant failures uh, along the way. And they've learned from those failures. And they're, you know, they, they have an ability to, to handle, as you say, to handle stress. They, they've, you know, they have all the characteristics that we like to see in good leaders. They're, you know, they're diligent and they're imaginative and they're creative. They, of course, you know, you know, work well with people. They work well with teams. They understand diversity. They understand inclusive and, and you know, respect inclusive points of view. So, you know, it's, it's, it's basic stuff, but it, it, you know, it requires a, a huge amount of experience and a huge amount of, of, of risk-taking, personal career risk-taking. And, uh, you know, in the, in the oil and gas industry, you do promote, you do tend to promote from within. So, you know, you, you, you gain your experience very typically in the firm that you eventually come to lead. Not always, not always, but most of the, you know, the super majors certainly promote from within and, you you develop experiences and successes and some failures probably along the way. So is it important to fail them? I, I don't think you're going to make, I don't think anyone's going to be successful in any career without some failures along the way. Uh, no one's infallible. Um, some people perhaps don't want to admit they failed, but you know, if you can't admit you failed, you're probably not going to go very far in the leadership uh, leadership ranks. Okay. As long as you learn from your failures as well. Oh. You learn from your failures and, and you, and you, you know, don't do it again. You know, you, you learn from your failures and you apply yourself to, to, you know, performing at a higher level in the future. Okay. So how do you pick yourself up after a failure then? Yeah, I think it depends on the failure. You know, it depends on the failure. I mean, some failures are fatal in the sense that, you know, they perhaps demonstrate that you don't have the skills and don't have the abilities to to move to the next level. And again, when we talk about failures, we're, we we you know we're not talking about failures that 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 necessarily are calamitous in terms of safety or financial or whatever. You may simply fail to be able to do the job. You know, one of the challenges of engineers, in particular, is the is the uh, a lot of engineers struggle to step away from the detail. And and struggle to, you know, not want to be immersed in every aspect of the decision making, and that can be a fatal, you know, a fatal failure for for a lot of engineers seeking to move up in the leadership ranks. I've I've seen that. I've seen senior executives who who plateaued because of their inability to basically delegate and let go. So that you know, that, that I would call that you know, that's a type of failure. Now others perhaps. You know, they get in that situation, they're mentored, they're counseled, they're, you know, and, and they and they can, you know, they can overcome that, that failure. But a lot can't. And I think that's a, that's a nature of the training that you get, I think, as an engineer or an accountant or, you know, any, any kind of detail oriented kind of professions. Okay. So you think that one of the major problems that engineers have as managers is the fact that they can't be hands off. Yeah. And every supervisor has to be, that's the nature, you know, that's the definition of the job. You are supervising other people, you know, to get work done. And that that by definition means being hands off. And that's not always easy for, and and I don't want to pick on engineers. It's, it's every first time supervisor, 
in any job from any, you know, whether you're from marketing or accounting or finance or whatever, you, you have to, you know, delegate to other people and, and trust other people to, to do the work. Okay. But that's when you have to be able to hire people that you, that you feel that you can trust to do that job then for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just as you were hired at one point to do that job. Which can you know, be someone, someone hired you and some, someone supervised you and now it's your job to to do the supervision. Okay. It is. It's, it can be challenging to... Because then you would have to not only hire somebody that you could think you could work together, but you're, you're almost having to hire somebody that's maybe better than yourself. Mm -hmm. Except remember, remember most supervisors don't hire anybody. They, they are... They're given the job and the people come with the job. So you're not in a position typically to hire anybody. You know, that's it. You know, it's Michelle. Now your job, you have this job. You've got five direct reports, make it work. So, you know, you don't get a choice about who your direct reports are. Right? You don't get that choice until a little bit further along the, the leadership path. I do not. I thought you might. Yeah, you might, but not, 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 not first time. First time we throw you in and, you know, often it's the people you, you know, I mean, think about it. Typically it often happens, you know, you work in a team with five people, your boss gets promoted. Now I have to take someone from the team of five to be the new supervisor. So all of a sudden your colleagues become your direct reports. That's, you know, that's normally how it happens. Is it easier to get promoted within the same company than it is to maybe change. Because when you go higher, then you're having to still deal with the same type of same people, right. obviously. Right. They they might not like you succeeding. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it depends on depends on the industry. You know, I can say for a fact that if you work for ExxonMobil or Shell or Chevron, your best opportunity to become a supervisor is to, you know, is to stay with the company. I mean, those companies promote from within. If you work for JP Morgan Chase, the same thing. You know, smaller companies, perhaps, you know, different industries, people bounce around and move around a lot. The oil and gas industry tends not to be that way. Partially, I think it's the specialized nature of the job, but it's also history and tradition and, 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 and in, the, in the majors, especially a trust in your own culture and your own people. So, you know, if you work for ExxonMobil and you want to be a supervisor, you know, stay with ExxonMobil and, 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 you know, opportunities will present themselves. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you one, maybe one final, what happens if you're a young engineer and you maybe got passed over from promotion? Mm -hmm. Supervisory or? Supervisory. I mean, you have different options, of course. Uh, some cases, it may be the signal that it's time to leave. In other cases, maybe you just weren't ready and another opportunity will come along. You know, it's it's a pretty hard question to answer. It, it will very much depend on the person, the company, the situation. Uh, but of course, it could be a signal you know, that it's time. You know, It's not going to happen at your company and therefore you should be looking at, at other organizations. But you know, it, it, it will very much situation dependent i would say but it's a tough call though to do that though it is it is you know I, and i think you know in large companies that 
you know, that, that, that have expectations that you can have a long-term career with the organization, you perhaps might want to wait, wait, kind of wait your turn. Smaller organizations, there may not be another opportunity. So you may, you know, it may be the, you know, maybe time to leave. So that's why I say it's very situation specific. Okay. No, thank you. So that's all the questions I have today. I would like to thank Andrew for your time. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening and see you next week. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd like to gently encourage you to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with another person. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or via my website, www.michellefraserconsultancy.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.